So this is the uh, Interledger bi-weekly call, community call. It's the 27th of May call if you're listening to a recording. Uh, thanks for joining. We have two items on the agenda. Um, for anyone who's new, the agenda is maintained on the forum. We post up a, a topic on the forum um, ahead of time. Anyone who has something they want to discuss is welcome to post to that forum topic. Um, two items on the agenda today. Um, I want to just provide some updates or some an overview of the updates I've made to the open payments spec. Um, been a long time coming and um, uh, I'll go through kind of those at a high level, take some questions. And then uh, Noah wanted to chat a little bit about uh, open payments as well, specifically invoices uh, denominated in a different asset to um, the sending account. So we can we can get into the details of that. I think there's a upfront, I want to say there's a bunch of stuff, I think, that we still need to add to open payments. But I did want to get us to a point where we all agree on how it's set up the basics are how the basics are defined um and then we can build build out you know there's a lot of things i think we could add um i'm very keen to uh hear from the spring folks on pay id progress and whether we can find a way to um you know connect the dots between open payments pay id um and also um uh you know look at things like um monitoring invoices you know as they're getting paid things like that i think there's some some interesting stuff to explore there any other topics anyone wants to add to the agenda before we kick off otherwise we'll we'll just open up at the end and have a free for all okay cool so um so first topic is the open payments updates uh, we've discussed these over the last couple of calls um i presented sort of the thinking um in a slide deck i think two calls ago um, most of what's been updated is roughly along those lines, bar a few minor things. Um, so we had, um, we try and go through the changes sort of uh, in an orderly way and, and, and then you can, you know, we can do some questions and answers. So uh, first thing is um, we've tried to get everything uniform. So it was mostly, a, it was a big cleanup as well. Uh, make sure all the examples are consistent, make sure uh, the APIs are well-defined and filling gaps around, you know, content types um, and so on. Um, also some explanatory pages around things like currencies. So um, definitely the, the discussion around invoice currencies, the sender currency, we should add something in there. Um, I've logged two issues based on feedback on the PR that I wasn't able to address yet that I think I'd like to rather address in subsequent pull requests because um, the real scope of this was to sort of get a solid base um, and, and you know, those are things we can, we can address afterwards. Um, the other change was switching to all resources, just having an ID property rather than calling it name. Um, I think... Uh, we had tried to align with sort of API guidance from um, a, a resource put together by Google around API design, but in discussing it, it seemed like we were overcomplicating things. Um, the reason they use the idea of a name is um, is that they um, uh, they design the APIs to be usable over different bindings, so not only HTTP, they can use them over gRPC and stuff like that. 
Um, we also simplified the actual IDs themselves to just be the URL. So we were using a kind of weird sort of non-protocol specific notation. Um, so that's gone away. Um, we talk about, um, we, you know, things like an invoice and a mandate have a reference to the account. Uh, we had previously talked about a subject as sort of in trying to keep with sort of open auth, OAuth uh, sort of terminology. Um, the way we're kind of thinking about it now is more that, you know, you have your resources and APIs and OAuth is something you do sort of separately or, or, you know, in parallel to open payments to get auth tokens to be able to access those resources. So subject doesn't really feel like the appropriate thing then. It's just simpler to say, you know, the... Um, invoice has an, a linked account, and so it's an account, and the account uh, the account property will be a URL which points to the account. Um, so that's those sort of real like low level things. In terms of how the the API works, everything is rooted on the concept of an account. So you have a financial account, uh, a thing that has a balance. Basically, it has a balance as um, a, a an asset code and asset scale. Um, and when you do a query against the URL of that account, if you specify just the application JSON media type uh, in your accept header, you're gonna get back information about the account, things like the asset code scale, um, an identifier for the wallet where it's held, um, and potentially uh, a bunch of metadata around authorization. So like the auth endpoints you would use for OAuth, uh, the token endpoint, et cetera. So, that's the basic thinking. And then other APIs are all relative to that. So if you want to create an invoice for payments into that account, it would be the URL of that account slash invoices. If you want to create a mandate uh, against that account, it would be the URL of that account slash mandates. Um, standard REST sort of patterns, uh, get to read, post to create. API doesn't really have a definition for put or delete yet, but we can, you know, dive into what those might look like later. Um, the APIs are designed independent of authorization. So, you know, the structure of how you access the APIs is the same. And then, for example, if you wanted to create a mandate um, or an invoice uh, and post it to the right API URL, whether you have permission to do that or not is up to the, the wallet, the open payment server that's hosting that endpoint. Uh, so in many cases, creating an invoice would be something you could do anonymously. Um, but it's possible that, for example, the account owner doesn't want to receive unsolicited payments and they want uh, invoice invoices to only be created by people that they've authorized. Or the authorization may be at a sort of wallet to wallet level. So the client itself is authorizing um, rather than, you know, the, the, the client's um, delegate. So what I mean by that is if I want to send somebody a payment, um, I use my wallet uh, and my wallet is the client, the open payments client, uh, speaking to the other person's wallet, which is the open payments server. And, um, and, you know, it may be that the wallets want to, um, be sure that the other wallet is trusted or is you know meets certain requirements uh from a regulatory perspective or whatever so all of that is sort of abstracted away and we basically just say if you want to hit any of these endpoints you need a bearer token 
um, unless they're anonymous, unless they can be accessed anonymously, you need a bearer token. And the way you get that bearer token is standardized and it's described in the in the authorization section. So you um, you would use the authorization endpoint uh, to go through a standard OAuth flow. Uh, and we've kind of left it open to still figure out the specifics of how that would work. Like what are the use cases? Um, at a high level, we expect things like I can create a mandate against an account, but I would need authorization to create charges against that mandate. So that's the, the fourth resource type that the API defines is a thing called a charge and charges are sub resources of a mandate. So if I want to um, effectively push money out of someone else's account, I would create a mandate against that account that defines the terms under which I can do that. So it's a, a total amount, a start and end date, and then uh, an interval. Um, and so this is coming from uh, Sabine's work on, on similar thing for SPSP where the, what the interval duration does is define cycles effectively or intervals and the amount that you specify is reset every interval. So if I create a mandate, a monthly mandate for $2 against someone's account, I'm asking to be able to push $2 out of their account once a month. And then the way I do that is I get authorization to create charge resources against the mandate. And um, I do a post against the charges API. So the, the URL of the mandate slash charges. Um, and in that charge, I specify the URL of an invoice that, uh, that the sending wallet has to go and fetch, get the details and pay. I think we can expand on that. I, I have chosen not to try and do that now, but I think we could, you know, allow charges to actually take an amount, for example. Um, but there's some currency or sort of asset considerations to do there. So at a high level, that's the API. That's how you create the different resources you need. Uh, and then finally, the thing that is probably changed since the most since we last uh, chatted was how do you then get um, payment details to actually make the payment? And we kind of originally had this idea of different media types for all the different resources. Um, we moved to a more um, sort of traditional rest pattern with re resources and sub resources. And I settle on a kind of a middle ground, which is to say the API is very standard rest. You create invoices, mandates and charges um, through obvious kind of URL endpoints. But when you want to get payment details, um, you would do a get uh, or post against those um, API endpoints and you would specify a different media type. And what that means in keeping with kind of REST, the way REST works is if I get an account, I get the resource representation of that account in JSON form is the metadata. If I do a get against the account, but I specify something like SPSP4, I'm asking for a different representation of the account. And in this case, I'm asking for the SPSP4 uh, protocol details for that account, which is what we use for web monetization today. So it returns an ILP address and a shared secret that I can use to stream money into that account. Um, and the same applies for uh, invoices. So I can request an invoice and specify a different media type, ILP-stream, and what I'll get is the invoice details, but embedded in the invoice will also be the connection credentials. So the, the payment details I need to make a payment into that invoice. Uh, and so I was addressing something that Kincaid raised, which I thought was quite, was very valid, which is not trying to, not needing to create an invoice and then do a separate call to get the payment details. If I know I want the payment details, 
um, I can post the invoice and specify in the request that the accept in the accept header that the type that I want to get back is uh, ILP stream. And what that'll do is it'll give me the invoice details back with the uh, credentials embedded in them. So that's probably the biggest deviation from um, from what we discussed on the last call. And that's probably quite a lot to have just dumped on you without having put into a, a presentation this time. So I'm gonna stop there, um, maybe some clarifying questions or other questions. Uh, and yeah, let's, let's discuss those changes. It's all in a PR, it was a draft PR before and I apologize, it's gotten quite unwieldy. Um, I've resolved all of the comments that I've had. I apologize to people who um, maybe I, I've just deferred what you've asked for as something that I think we should do in another uh, subsequent pull request. Um, I, I was trying to keep the scope narrow and not fall into that trap that we often fall into in this community of PR staying open for months, um, trying to boil the ocean. Uh, so I'd prefer, yeah, if, if, if there's something we can do in a subsequent PR, let's log it as an issue and, and solve it that way. Stopping there, any questions? Comments? Really? Okay. Hey, Adrian, I'll, I'll take you up. Cool. Uh, I, I, your, your PR looks awesome. Uh, thanks for putting all that together. I, and I agree we should uh, merge it sooner rather than later and then uh, open up, you know, issues or whatever. So I actually approved and put a comment in there to that effect. I think there's a few typos that Matt suggested that it should be. Okay. I think it's just the ID uh -huh. name change, but yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll go through those. I, I um, definitely the typo stuff, the easiest is if you do one of those like suggested commits, I banged a few of those in last night and, and I think that solved a lot of them, but I'll, I'll go through again if there's still some more. Um, but thanks. I appreciate that, David. Um, one thing I wanted to mention, which I didn't, was um, as far as I can tell, we are fully backwards compatible with uh, web monetization as it's used today in the wild, uh, which was one of the goals. And, and it doesn't feel hacky, which I think is, <laughs> is also uh, a nice achievement. Um, one thing that we don't talk about at all in the open payments stuff is some of the is is receipts so it still needs to be updated to handle stream receipts talk about stream receipts and also um any of the headers that are used in web monetization i think the web monetization id header has been deprecated um but i just want to you know update that still so that's something else i'll still do Cool. Well, if there's if there's not any more comments or questions, I think the best thing is to get that merged in, and and that gives us a good base on which to start thinking about new features and and new things um, to add. Um, I don't know. We haven't um, done much work on you know Rafiki in relation to this in the last week or two, but that's something we can definitely look at making sure Rafiki is up to date to the latest stuff. So I'll work with Matt and the team on that. Um, David, I know you guys have an, an, an implementation. We, we should probably sync up as well and make sure we are, use our different implementations as a way of checking that things are interoperable. Yeah, that'd be great. Cool. Uh, I have one question about the security. Um, like is the default thing that you should be able to post to create an invoice, anyone should? 
I mean, I, I guess you, you sort of alluded that like maybe that's going to be different for every use case. So I think it's it, it basically the API doesn't specify. Uh, the structure of the API is is one thing, and then how you lock down specific endpoints is kind of up to each implementation. But the the stat it does specify that if you hit an endpoint and you get back a four hundred four hundred one, um, there's a standard process to go through to go and get a token to be able to hit that endpoint again with the same request. Um, so that should be standardized. But I think one of the problems we have is the like until we have implementers out there who are actually subject to things like you know regulations and so on and and know what make sense in terms of what's allowed and what's not. Um, we probably don't want to try and get too specific there. Matt made that point. And I think I probably have already got more in there than we, we should. Okay. So as we were like prototyping, we were thinking that the post call to create an invoice would just be open. Yeah, but I think, I think generally it would. would be authenticated. Just, just as our prototype, like a, uh, of course okay. that could change, but uh, I'm curious what you guys would do in Rafiki. Like what's the, the prototype thing that makes the most sense to you? So, so you, sorry, I, I'm, um, did you say you would make creating the invoice open, but getting the connection details protected, the, the, the payment details? Sorry, David. I, I was just clarifying. I don't know if you you muted, by the way. Um, are you saying what you were planning to do was make creation of invoices open, but getting payment details protected? Yeah, sorry. I um, We should talk about payment details. I was saying creating the invoice would be open, but then getting the collection of like all of a user's invoice would be protected. Like, Oh, right. I probably wouldn't even be authorized. It would be just like, you have to be the owner to see your own invoice. Sure. We, so we haven't actually defined that level of stuff in open payments. I'd definitely be keen to add some of that as well. If you guys are, are keen to um, flesh that out. So the collections, we haven't really talked about at all. Like if you did a get against invoices, that's sort of undefined in the spec right now. Um, if you've got an implementation of that, uh, definitely be keen to explore that. Yeah, but I, I agree with you. Like, I wouldn't want anyone to just be able to get all invoices against an account. That seems like something only the account owner should be able to do. Okay, cool. We'll, we'll keep uh, exploring that. And then um, I think as we form more opinion, we'll, we'll maybe submit some PRs to clarify that and see what everyone thinks. One, one thing to think about is um, whether these API endpoints which are designed really for interoperability with external systems would be the same APIs you would use for like something internal um, or whether maybe you'd expose that completely differently. I don't know. Um, I, I guess I'm just cautioning against us overloading these APIs with stuff that actually is not necessarily for interoperability with a third party. That's actually a really good point. So maybe like if, if you had some UI that was gonna show a user's invoices, yeah, like think about putting that somewhere else in, in maybe like a different security model. Yeah, that's that's what I'm thinking is, is like open payments is all about, you know, 
my wallets being someone else's wallet so that they can you know figure out how to set up the payment and move the money um if if my wallet has apis for me to do things like view my invoices or whatever then i would imagine those are different so this is a good segue um like in our implementation the account model if you will is like accessible via api right so um we're using like the connector account and the open payments account they're kind of the same same resource and we there were some comments in the prs about like uh you know moving from payment pointer to url and like what if those don't align but it sounds like maybe the way to think about this would be there should be some open payments endpoints that maybe are orthogonal to a connector's accounts. That's, that's definitely how I think about it. I mean, I think that's up to implementations though. So what I want to, what I was kind of trying to preserve here is like open payments is solving a very specific problem, right? It's, it's how to, you know, make different, these different wallet systems interoperable within a, with one another so they can, you know, execute these different use cases. They obviously a wallet is going to have a whole bunch of other endpoints and APIs and things, how it, does those or whether those follow a similar pattern and you know under which paths and subdomains or whatever you want to host them it's like totally up to you as a wallet i think um so my point in the pr comment was just if you um if you are a wallet and you're giving your users payment pointers that resolve to what are effectively urls for an account resource then you know you should work back from the account resources that you're going to create for open payments. Don't worry about if you have other APIs that happen to also be for accounts, like create something exactly kind of, I think what you described, create something specifically for open payments, maybe namespace differently, put it under a subdomain, whatever. And then your payment pointers are, are those not, you know, I, I guess I just, yeah, I, I worry about over the, the overloading. Um, and and exactly the the thing that you guys raised in the PR that like you know if I've already got APIs that say things like account slash Alice um, then I don't want my payment pointers to conflict with that and then my answer is okay great well then host your open payment stuff somewhere different like under a subdomain or under a different subpath or whatever and you know that's for the open payments interactions and then your payment pointer is derived from that URL. Um, the, the URL that you use for open payments. Um, I, I posted a question on this uh, in the PR, but I'm wondering if you could just connect the dots for me between the payment pointer you just outlined, which would be like, you know, pretty long. Let's say there's a path and an invoice path and an ID and, and et cetera, or whatever, versus the thing in the PR where you call it like a personal payment pointer. So how does one go from like, Alice, or you know, dollar sign Alice. Um, sorry, dollar sign spring that money slash Alice, which would be like the personal payment pointer to this sort of less elegant payment pointer that would actually be the thing that should get paid. I think that's kind of up to again. No, yeah, like I think that's up to the implementation, right? Um, we haven't been specific about it, but maybe we should be about whether redirects are supported. I think they already are in web monetization. But, you know, 
I could imagine having, for example, a load balancer with routing rules that says, if I get a, you know, spring up money slash anything, um, I take that and I rewrite the URL internally to be something much longer, like spring.money slash open payments slash accounts slash that, that thing. Um, so that's, how, I mean, that's how I would imagine people trying to find nice short payment pointers that still resolve to um, open payment systems internally that are not like uh, overlapping those namespaces. Okay, cool, thanks. Mm. That, that's at least, I mean, that's, that was my assumption. Uh, I'm trying to not like couple too many of these things together, leave it, leave it kind of open. Anyway, we, so we've, we've like already, uh, we've already used about half an hour, half of the call on this. Um, I'm eager to hear from anyone else if there are any other comments or thoughts. Um, otherwise, hand over to Noah. Any other thoughts on, on open payments as it is now, or, or maybe, maybe we can pick this up again um, through the form or uh, Slack or even on the following call once everyone's had a chance to look at the final rendered versions, but easier to review. Cool. Uh, Noah, do you want to um, provide a kind of intro to the topic you want to discuss? Yeah, sure. Um, so I was thinking about, um, let's say I want to pay an invoice to a receiver who's, I don't know, let's say they're denominated in US dollars with asset scale two. Um, and my account is denominated in XRP with asset scale nine. Um, if I create, if I get an invoice from them, um, it'll be denominated in US dollars. Um, and so when I'm trying to actually pay that invoice, um, I think we have a couple options as to like how we should know, how the sender should know how much to pay. Um, I think one is probably like, you just do some sort of currency conversion uh, before trying to pay. Um, and then the other one is, uh, I don't know if we actually support this yet, but um, doing sort of receiver mode payment where the sender just keeps sending packets until the receiver says uh, you've paid enough. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just wanted to get your thoughts on that and, and see if you guys have dealt with that at all in um, Rafiki. I know your sites are both denominated in, um, you know, the same denomination that the Rafiki accounts are denominated in. Um, mm -hmm. But I feel like maybe this, maybe it should be like, not maybe not standardized, but explicitly stated, um, like what the recommendation is for that. Cool. Um, so we haven't, we haven't done anything with this in Rafiki, but we've definitely talked a bunch about it. Matt, do you wanna do you wanna say something here? Yeah, I'm gonna pass on to the man who's actually done the work and actually I think this should be the recommended way. Kincaid's done a lot of work on doing a fixed amount a fixed destination sending, um, where basically he does a quoting step in the ILP layer uh, or the stream layer that actually gives you a, a, like an upper bound with a slippage. And that you can present to the user and then give back. But Kincaid, I, I'd rather want you to talk to it, so I'm going to put you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I've been working on kind of a new 
JavaScript stream implementation and application layer library um, that's kind of more optimized around retail style payments and in particular fixed um, delivery payments. Um, so I think there are a few things you want to enforce. One is like you want to bound the amount that leaves the sender's account in their currency before the payment begins. Um, so you can present that to them for authorization. They feel confident, like this is the maximum amount I'm sending. You certainly don't want like an infinite amount of money uh, to leave their account. Um, you want to deliver at least the amount of the invoice. Um, there are some cases where you have to deliver slightly more than that due to kind of asymmetries in the precision, um, but you don't want to deliver less than that. Um, and then you want to enforce on each packet that you know it meets some rate that each packet is uh, contributing enough to uh, the fixed delivery amount uh, such that you know you won't you won't have like a partially completed payment um, uh, because like within those two constraints, the max source amount and kind of like the minimum delivery amount, you want to enforce that like you, you get between there. Uh, you're, you, you, you deliver enough, yet you don't send enough. So you, it, it's important to enforce on each packet that it's meeting some rate. Um, so what the library does is it, um, it probes the rate, but it also pulls uh, kind of a minimum exchange rate from an external API, um, subtracts some uh, slippage percentage from that to determine this is the minimum rate I'm going to accept, makes sure the probed rate is sufficient, and then um, to determine the min source amount, it just, uh, or the max source amount rather, it, it just converts that and then uh, seals it. And then because each packet to determine the minimum uh, destination amount on every packet, you're using that same minimum exchange rate that you identified. Um, you can enforce that um, you'll never send more than the maximum source amount. Um, yeah, sorry. There's there's a lot there. Um, if there are like more specific pieces of that, uh, I could maybe try to explain it a little bit. It, it sounds like you you you're doing what Noah proposed in terms of um, you you go outside the system to determine what's a sensible rate first, right? You so you you're pulling some you know exchanges or whatever, and you're saying okay, sensible rate is X. I'll allow for a bit of slippage, so the minimum rate that I'll accept is X minus a bit, and then. You know, then you're using stream. Stream stream allows you with every packet to say reject this packet if the amount you receive is less than X, uh, or let's say Y in this case. And so you calculate what Y should be based on what you're sending, and you send it off. And and then you monitor as you go, right? That's kind of a at a high level, what the what the library is doing for you. Yep. Cool. Okay. So, so tying that back to open payments would be, I guess you, you start with, you've got this remote invoice, it's got a, um, an amount of currency. The first thing you have to do is say, cool, do I have a way to go and 
calculate a sensible exchange rate based on that currency versus my local currency. And I guess you would have to bail straight away if you can't. And then if you have that, then, uh, yeah, then you, you would, I guess in this case, you have the benefit of a library. You just hand it off to the library and say, okay, <laughs> go and do the payment for me. Here are the constraints under which I'm happy for you to operate. Cool. So just to clarify on your implementation, Kincaid, it still could do a partial payment, right? If the rates went against you at $5 and you're trying to send 10, it will just stop. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If, if, the, if the rate change mid payment, uh, it would still partially fulfill. Yeah. Yeah. Partially execute the payment. Cool. That's a, the, it's interesting because that's, um, like, I think that's something we can never get away from in Interledger, but at the same time, um, you know, Stefan and I were discussing this actually yesterday. Um, and this idea of like opaqueness of the rates that people are going to apply between you and the end party is actually less of an issue than maybe it appears at first because no one's really, no one's incentivized in the, as a middle box in the network to start trying to be exploitative because they will very quickly just get nothing as soon as they, they try to exploit, uh, their position and, and charge a higher rate, packets will just start failing. And so, um, you know, you benefit nothing then as the middle box. So you can kind of push your limit, push, push the limits and constantly like set your rate just below where you start seeing failures. Um, but, you know, as soon as the network grows, you, you're going to, people are going to root around you um, if that, if that's the case. So it's kind of interesting how this will evolve or, or to see how this will evolve. And actually, I yeah. think you, it couldn't, um, the way uh, the quote or the way it sets minimum exchange rates, uh, it's, so it, it tries to very accurately estimate the rate and then always set the minimum, like uh, it tries to accurately uh, estimate the exact amount it will deliver on every packet based on the probed rate. And if you set the minimum to the exact amount that gets delivered, um, then because you're doing the probing flow beforehand with unfulfillable packets, you're kind of forcing the intermediaries to choose um, some rate uh, to, to like commit to some rate within some margin, of course, um, such that they can't, um, they can't like change their their rate over the course of the payment to like get as much slippage as possible. As a, so like whatever whatever they commit to during the quoting flow is like more or less um, what their uh, the the rate you're going to enforce, uh, which is one kind of interesting property. Cool. Um, one of the uh, things that Adrian is going to say. Sorry, go ahead. Yep. I was just going to say the incentive model makes a lot of sense to me. Like if you're an intermediary, better to take some small percent on that $10 payment rather than 0% on the $10 payment if you're not, uh, like if the stream center doesn't complete. Uh, yeah. And then, like you said, you'll get rooted around. I think the other, the other thing too is uh, Neil on our team has this metaphor of a uh, like a vending machine. And um, previously I was, so 
somewhat worried about partial payments, but the more we sort of build a, our connector wallet open payment server, it's sort of like, you know, people have no problem putting three quarters into or four quarters into a vending machine. Like you just keep paying until, until you're, you've paid enough. And so partial payments shouldn't be that big of a problem either, I think, in reality. No, I, I, I agree. I think um, it's something we'll get used to and, 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 and like find ways around at the application there. So those are kind of the, some of the things that I'm keen to explore as we go um, in open payments. One of the ideas I had actually on that, I don't, I don't wanna, sorry, I don't wanna move on until we, we're all happy with this. No, are you, um, are you good with that? Are you guys, um, I'm assuming you guys are gonna be uh, using Kincaid's library as a reference and giving us a java version of this soon. yeah that's what it sounds like but yeah that, that sounds good <laughs> cool that answers my question thanks cool. to for doing that okay um, do you want to the, the, the library in the chat sorry i'm not at a pc right now but that might just be helpful for the people to have a link yeah, to good it. idea good idea um yeah one of the one of the other um a, a topic we had discussed internally, which maybe I want to just raise here and get people's input on. Um, uh, we we talked, you know, about resiliency and so on in the past. And one of the things we, um, I'm going to try and kind of give the summary here. One of the things we uh, agreed on when we were discussing this internally was uh, something that's necessary for the interface between the stream and the application layer is that before the stream layer fulfills a packet, it has to be certain that the application layer is aware that it's planning to do that. Um, so, so, you know, it needs to have an act from the application layer that the application layer is aware it's now fulfilling, it's about to fulfill that packet. And that was kind of the only, that's at least for me, was the only thing I distilled from the conversation as sort of a requirement of that interface. I guess we settled on the fact that there's going to be different ways that interface um, gets done in different languages because it's going to make sense in terms of this natural way languages uh, you know define these things. So you know JavaScript and Java are likely to be quite different, but uh, in a sort of abstract sense, what the stream library should do is provide the application there the opportunity to or, or to acknowledge every um, packet before it's fulfilled. And I think, you know, Kincaid, you made those changes already through a sort of a callback mechanism on the JavaScript one. I, I don't know the details. I'm wondering, David, if you guys have something like that. I feel like you do based on the presentation you gave a little while back for the Java uh, implementation. Yeah, maybe I'm getting, you know, confused or, or caught up on the, ter the, the term application, but our current receiver doesn't like it just, it's, it's fulfilling, like it's taking everything and mm -hmm. bucketing it. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm curious what the application would be doing. Is it, is it saying like, I, I actually want to accept this money? Like, is that the prime objective of making it? No, no, locked? it's, it's so, so the idea was we don't want to lose any money between the two. So, so sorry, let me take a step back. Um, and I'll try and explain this and I hope we won't butcher it. And I see you know, lots of smart people on the call who can, who can help me here if I get this wrong. Um, but the idea was you don't want, uh, so, so stream is a connection oriented protocol, right? So it has to keep at least sort of 
an ephemeral state for a connection. So it's doing things like, you know, keeping a record of how much money it's received on that connection, uh, as an example. Um, but there's no requirement that the stream implementation is like writing to some persistent storage somewhere or anything like that. You know, if somebody were to want to write a distributed stream receiver that, uh, you know, had lots and lots of instances of the stream receiver that somehow needed to share state between them, they may use some persistent storage as a way to do that. But, but that's not, you know, that's not a requirement, at least of the stream protocol. The stream protocol only requires a receiver to persist state as long as the connection's alive. And by persist, I mean, like, you know, keep that state. Um, I don't mean like write it to disk or anything. Uh, and, and the reason that it like, and, and so what you could have is if the application layer, so the thing that's using that stream implementation um, is not uh, aware of every incoming payment and keeping up to date as that state changes. So the state of incoming, uh, the, the total amount received, let's say, and the stream implementation dies for, so for whatever reason, um, the application, the money is potentially lost. So the stream layer has fulfilled a bunch of, uh, you know, packets and the application layer isn't aware of that. And so the application thinks it's received X, but the stream uh, layer has actually fulfilled X plus something. Uh, and so the, what we sort of came to consensus around was the right interface between the stream receiver and whatever application is sort of keeping a more persistent record of money received should be that the stream layer is always uh, certain that the application layer has received a notification that a packet's been received before it fulfills it. Does that make more sense? Okay, does I, that make that even more confusing? No, I, th I think that does. I think in when I when I hear the word application, I think like something user facing often, but I think in the java durable receiver the application as it were is the thing persisting the packet so you yeah, could, I'm, yeah I'm i think, I think it so. is a very simple application just stores the packet yeah, i and think then, so uh, the receiver fulfills yeah i think in your if i remember correctly from the the demo you guys are persisting stuff to permanent storage before you send a fulfillment so you you have right. no chance of losing money yeah okay cool yep that was it. We we don't do it with a callback though. I think that would be a more elegant sort of API design. We're we're just uh, have a custom receiver that first stores, and then you know if that transaction commits to the data store, then it, it fulfills. But um, like we had to, you know, we there wasn't an easy plug-in point in our API. So I think that could be improved in Java. Mm -hmm. I guess the the point that was made on the call, and again, I'm I'm you know, someone step in if I'm misspeaking here is this can't be completely asynchronous. The, the stream, uh, the stream module can't be fulfilling packets and asynchronously notifying the application layer about it because that's when, that's when you'll lose money. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay, cool. Um, are there any other topics? Otherwise there's uh, a, a thought I had in writing open payment stuff that I wanted to throw out there and hear what people, think of it um any uh, but i have been doing a lot of talking so i'd be eager to hear from anyone else if they have something they wanted to touch on in the last 15 minutes
Yeah, two, two, two other things a little bit related. Um, one is kind of how open payments, uh, like open payments invoices. Um, I think there's, so there's, there's some cases where you need to, like it, it is only possible to overpay the invoice. And I'm wondering like how that should affect the stream receiver behavior. Um, so the Java, so JavaScript ILP protocol stream uh, will allow receiving up to 1% more than whatever you set the receive max to. Um, and I'm wondering like what should that behave, should some behavior like that be spec'd out in open payments? And then like what does the Java implementation do to kind of handle that? Can you say maybe a bit more about the scenario where that where that occurs, other than just like that it allows for it? Yeah, sure. Um, so, for example, suppose I'm sending from USD six to XRP scale nine. Um, so the exchange rate is greater than one. I send, you know, if I were to send one unit uh, in my asset, I get, you know, I I can't remember the rate exactly, but. Say I get 400, uh, you know, milli XRP uh, gets delivered, which means that um, I, I can't, you know, if 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 I can only pay in, you know, 400 unit increments in the delivery amount, there are cases depending upon. In fact, for it, it's likely that I I won't be able to pay um, many. Uh, Invoice amounts, destination amounts, precisely. Um, just because right. I don't. Okay. You have a my set of input amounts is mapping to a smaller set of output amounts. Um, okay. Cool. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Um, so, what were you thinking in terms of um, how you would document that in open payments? Um. So I think there, there's somewhere where it uh, suggests how you set like the, the receive amount at the stream layer based on the invoice amount. I'm just wondering if it should specify. Oh, right. Yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a code example uh, somewhere there. Uh, I'm going to blame, blame Matt for the good code examples. Um, so you'll have, <laughs> I'll have to go and have a look at those. Um, but that's probably, yeah, the code examples are probably worth updating anyway now to uh, align with the updates you've made anyway. Yeah. So wouldn't it be better to not have a max? Sorry, I'm getting some feedback, but wouldn't it be better to not have a max? Uh, because so, so what if someone overpays the invoice? Shouldn't that be up, let's say it's a merchant, uh, shouldn't that be, just be up to the merchant to either take that money if it's small or refund it um, if they want to? I, I think the sender's already going to gate the. But this is going to be the amount set by the receiver on their stream receiver for the connection. Um, mm -hmm. So at the moment, a naive so, implementation would set their stream receiver to. Um, you know, the same amount as the invoice, and then the invoice can never be paid. So our naive implementation sets no max. Like you can keep okay. paying an invoice as much as you want. 
yeah. I think, no, like, are there uh, kind of what we were talking about earlier? Are there like legal issues potentially um, or cases where you do need to cap the amount that can be paid? Well, it seems like it would be capped by the sender, right? Because, like, with your quoting protocol, isn't the sender saying, All right, I know I need to pay 10 and I'm, I'm not going to pay more than 1% above that. And if I start, if I do that, I'll stop, stop sending. Well, I mean, my assumption is the sender will stop sending once they believe the receiver has received enough. So, you know, you, you know the total that the receiver has got after every fulfillment you get back. Um, so you can just stop sending yourself. Are you saying um, senders? I mean, yeah, to me, it makes sense that a sender would do that anyway. I guess like there may be really some weird. legal reason. Yeah, go ahead. Like for yeah. them to enable me to pay an unlimited amount of money. Like I, I, I don't know. That seems like like certainly like I don't I don't want to I want to make sure I do not send an unlimited amount of money, but it seems weird for them to accept an infinite amount of money when they're just like, I, I, I think I think it makes sense, Kincaid, to have a note in there. Like, uh, I, I'll have a look at that. Maybe, I don't know if you want to maybe log an issue about it, but it probably makes sense to say, like, when you're receiving payments for an invoice, that you should allow some, you know, a little bit of variance, given that there's going to be currency conversion and the person sending, you know, may not have absolute control over the amount that you receive. And so, um, you know, whatever mechanism you have for receiving that money, you should allow for a bit of overpayment um, to, to avoid the invoice being stuck uh, and not being paid. Another thing that I, I mean, specific okay. implementations can decide how they want to do that. Like David, your implementation says we just don't have a max. Um, other implementations may as, you know, K points out for legal reasons, need to set a max and say, well, we can't actually yeah. accept more than like 10% then. And, and, and actually that makes sense to me because I know, for example, there's big differences in licensing between selling a product versus accepting a remittance. So if you're selling a product, your kind of the justification is I've given you an invoice and so you're sending me some money. Um, and so if I give you an invoice for $10, but you send me $100, a regulator is gonna look at that and say, yeah, that looks like a $90 remittance to me. Um, that's try to be hidden behind a $10 invoice or something like that. Um, so yeah. I, could, I could imagine there being reasons why you'd wanna do that. I guess the one thing I would, I would caution on is we haven't really delved too deeply into multi-line items or whatever in an invoice. So you, like if, if it's illegal for an invoice to have more money applied to it than the invoice amount, um, I, I suspect later, like you can imagine buying like three things from Amazon and just sending one back. So depending on how like a refund flow would work, it, there could be other reasons why the amount paid would, would go down on an, or up. Sorry, the, the amount paid might be more than the invoice amount temporarily, depending on how one builds the invoice system. Mm. My, my, my guess though, David, is you would, 
um, like a, that, that would be multiple invoices and things put together to constitute that complete sort of interaction. But I, yeah, I, I guess we need to that think out the use case a bit, a bit more. Yeah. At yeah. least in my mind, I've been thinking of invoices as sort of a bucket of money that gets paid in for a reason. And if there's a reason why like money has to go back the other way, that would be something new as opposed to a change to the existing invoice. If that makes sense. Yeah. I think the only reason um, I'm, I'm pushing on this actually is maybe it's a bit, bit of the tail wagging the dog, but like our implementation is eventually consistent at the moment. So unlike sending, like we sort of had the assumption that receiving, you can just receive all day because if somebody's sending you, like it's sort of on them. And then you'll eventually update the invoice amount in response to stream payments that have completed or whatever. Uh, maybe we need to reconsider that architecture. That is a very nice segue into the, the idea I had. And since we only have five minutes, I'm gonna throw it out there and then we can, we can leave it for further discussion down the line. So um, I thought it would be quite elegant if given that all of the resources and open payments are URLs, if you wanted to monitor the state of any resource by opening a WebSocket to that URL. Um, so basically, if you create an invoice um, and you want to track that invoice uh, and be notified every time a payment's received into that invoice, you would connect to that invoice URL, but uh, you would use WebSocket. So you would basically be upgrade the connection to a WebSocket and there'd be a standard like message that you get sent every time payments are received or something like that. That was, you know, I haven't, I haven't taken it beyond that thought. Um, but that was my idea. Any, uh, any thoughts on that? Terrible idea. Good idea. I think, I think it's interesting. The, uh, Ripple D does something similar where you can subscribe to like events on a, an address or the entire ledger. I think, um, you'd probably want to make some sort of API or at least define what it means to connect. So do you get, if it's a stream payment with like 2000 packets, are you getting 2000 events for every packet every time you connect? Or are you just getting like from, from now forward, that kind of thing? Yeah. Uh, fair question. My, my thinking was rather than needing to define an API, you basically subscribing to state changes to the resource. So you just get sent a copy of that invoice every time it changes. Um, and so it's not super efficient, but you could probably debounce it. Like as a sender, you would maybe not send everyone. You would send one every few seconds if it's changing a lot. I don't know. Um, but, but, but the point would be that eventually the receiver or the subscriber would get the latest version of it. Um, and would be able to respond to that. So you would try and make it as sort of um, as synchronized to the local kind of version as possible. But yeah, best best effort. What, what's I like the that. Use I, case? I would simplify it. Sorry, Kincaid, what was the question? Yes, what the use what's case was. Uh, it came up in a conversation we had actually with David and your team the other day, um, like where you, you know, as a sender, you create an invoice um, and then you start paying towards it. And 
<clears throat> you want to be able to track the state of that invoice. But currently the way you're doing that is in the sort of stream layer. And I wondered if you could sort of had something else that could be tracking that maybe, you know, outside of the Interledge infrastructure. So a way to kind of get a copy of that. And the other, th the other interesting thought there is to get some sort of signed version of that invoice so that it effectively forms a receipt, like a, you know, to say, here's the invoice with the received amount signed by the wallet that received it, something along those lines. Adrian, I think an improvement on your idea would be a webhook. For service. No improvements on my ideas, David. <laughs> oh. um, yeah, that sounds like... Yeah. Another option is service sent events. They're like designed for this. So it's like, it's like an HTTP call that basically yeah. sends the data back rather yeah, than yeah, like yeah. duplex. That'd be cool. You don't need that. HTTP2 for the win. Okay, cool. I, I'll think about it a bit. Maybe I'll have a chance to put a PR in, in the next couple of days to, to suggest something. Um, but for now, um, please have a look. I'm going to merge that PR. Thanks to everyone who's reviewed it. Please go and have a look at the updated site with all of the latest bits. Log lots of issues if you find them. Um, next call is in two weeks, which puts us into June. Um, and let me just check my calendar, but it puts us on the 10th, I think, 10th of June. Uh, so we'll, we'll meet again on the 10th of June, same time, same place. Uh, thanks again, everyone. And We'll chat then. Uh, until that time, yeah, please, please do, um, you know, use the forum, use Slack. Let's keep keep in touch and keep up the awesome work. Um, David, let us know how the, or, or should I say, David and team and everyone else, let us know how the uh, the updates on the stream thing. Uh, be good to chat about that next week. Um, and Michiel, good to see you on the call. Long time. All right, thanks. Thank everyone. you. Yeah. Chat yeah. again soon. Ciao.